Good morning. Uh, what I want to share today is from Mark chapter 8. We're going to talk about you've got the power. Jesus fed the 4,000. But first, I just want to uh, uh, lead us all in wishing my dad, our senior pastor, a happy birthday. He, he turned 70, none of your business, years old yesterday. Can we put our hands together and let him know how much we love him? Happy birthday, Dad. All right, if you have your Bible or device, get to Mark 8. I need someone to come up here and help me because um, I have this really cool light bulb. This is actually a, 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 lie, a, a lie detector bulb, but it's, it's, it does it the other way. It detects truth. So I need to do it. Um, I need someone to help me. Luke, come on up here, please. Yeah, Luke. You'll, be, you'll be great. I just need some help. So this, this bulb actually, it, it lights up whenever. Yeah, stand, stand right there. Uh, thanks, Luke. Um, this bulb lights up whenever, yeah, Pastor David's got a microphone for you, this is good. It lights up whenever it hears the truth. See, it's pretty cool. Um, but, and if you're telling the lie, it's just going to just do that. It's not going to do anything. Did we have like a lamp to plug it in? We, we, I thought we took, um, well, I just said you got the power. Here, hold your hand up like this, like, like you're, yeah. Now say something that's true. Like, like, what's your name? Luke. Luke. Is that the truth? Yes. Do you just, is that on? I have no idea. Let me see. <laughs> yeah, it's on. Okay. Yeah, so, um, maybe you just don't have the power. <laughs> Listen, hear me. All right, let me see. Let me see what I can do. All right. Uh, what's your name? Luke. Amazing. I got the power, apparently. All right. Um, uh, how old are you, Luke? 16. Amazing. Are you really 16? Is that the truth? Yes. Yeah, then the... Oh, my goodness. Just keep still. Okay. Um, are you going to pay attention to everything I say today? Yes. Uh, are you going to... Are you going to try to pay attention to everything I say today? Yes. There we go. Okay, it, it works. All right, good. Um, let's just try it one more time. What's my name? Adam. This guy doesn't have the power, but let's give him a hand anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. You can give him your microphone. So you got the power. It's just not this kind of power. It's just not this kind of power. This is the trick kind of power that only I know how to do it. By the way, it's not a button. See, it's not a button. It's, it's magic. Because I got the power. All right, you can have a seat. <laughs> it's not magic. It's just a trick. There's a gimmick to it. And um, if you want to come see the light bulb afterwards, I will not show you. <laughs> but I got the power on that. And Luke has the power too. You just don't have the power to make that thing show up. And you got the power. And that was Jesus' message to his disciples over and over again. You've got the power. We're going to look at that in Mark chapter 8, where he fed the 4,000, where the disciples fed the 4,000, rather. I want to set this up, right? We've got to get the whole, the whole picture. We're going to start. We don't have to turn there. I'm just going to tell you. Deuteronomy chapter 7. God gave the Israelites the land of Canaan, and there were seven nations larger than them. The Bible talks about the seven nations larger than them. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the... Uh, Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the turn out the lights. Okay, I was kidding. There's just seven. 
the seven nations larger than Israel, and God said, I'm going to give you this land. You won't lose. You won't lose. Go in. I'm going to give them, I'm going to give you their land, and you're going you're gonna to push them out. You won't lose. Just go in, and you're going to push them out. And so they moved in from the west, and they pushed them out. That's exactly what happened. It took a while, but, but that's what happened. They, they pushed out those seven nations larger than them. Uh, away from, you know, over to the other side of the Jordan. And right there in that passage, I think it's uh, Deuteronomy 7.4, God said that, I, that he chose this nation, Israel, out of all the nations on the face of the earth, to be his people. And God blessed the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the setting for the story that sets up this story we're going to talk about. Two chapters earlier in Mark chapter 6, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, but Mark chapter 6 there was the feeding of the 5,000 families. 5,000 families. It was more like maybe 25,000 people. And when that was done, they collected 12 baskets of leftovers. It was a total miracle. The disciples distributed the food, and they're like, hey, we got this stuff. And there was 12 baskets. See, they were on the, the west side of the Sea of Galilee when that miracle happened. They were in Israel territory. They were in Jewish zone. And how much was left over? Twelve baskets. And the word for baskets used there is referring to, to a, like a lunch-sized basket, a smaller basket. There's twelve baskets. This is God sending a clear message. that this, It wasn't too clear to the disciples at the time. God's got enough for Israel. He has plenty to bless the nations of Israel. And then they get, they get on the Sea of Galilee, they go to some other places, and they're on the east side, where these seven nations larger than them were driven out to, pushed out to. This is Gentile territory, and that's the setting of Mark chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000. The place of grace was right there. So if you're at Mark chapter 8, uh, and you're ready for me to start reading, say, mm-hmm. All right, I'll read. Mark chapter 8, first three verses. During those days... Another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Uh, the word there is like, out of my gut, I feel it. I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse along the way because some of them have come a long distance. Here's number one. The first thing we learn in this story, God is moved by the hungry. God is moved by the hungry. Your hunger moves God, according to this. He had compassion. He felt it. And when he had that compassion, he saw the situation. Like, like, they've been out here. They haven't eaten for three days. They're hungry. What kind of hunger, spiritual hunger, had to have existed for those people to to be out in a totally remote place just to hear Jesus. They weren't going back for food. They were going to stay there because they realized what they had, Jesus. They weren't going to miss it. Aren't you glad that he sees you in your place when you're hungry, yeah. when you're weak, when you're about to fall over and collapse? Aren't you glad that the Lord sees you, Amen. has compassion for you? The record of scripture and my own observation shows that God doesn't dish out his blessing and truth to people that aren't all that interested. 
one thing, I mean, j- j- I mean, like, you were interested enough to come to church today. You were interested enough to uh, log on and, and uh, join us and worship with us online today. That shows a little bit of hunger. That shows a little bit of interest. But if you don't have enough interest to have come, you will not hear what I say. I mean, this just makes sense, right? God dishes it out to those who are hungry. God has moved and answers the prayers of those who are hungry, who, who need it, and who seek it. Anyone ever heard someone say that they're, they're leaving a church because they're just not getting fed? Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. I'm just not getting fed. I always think how sad that, that's got to be for them. Maybe there's some truth to that. But my first thought isn't what's wrong with the church. My first thought is what's wrong with that person. Because if, because if, like if you have to be fed on a feeding tube, you got some serious medical issues. If you, if you can't eat, you got some serious issues. Do you know what they call it when a baby doesn't eat enough? Failure to thrive. A failure to thrive. And medical intervention is absolutely necessary. We need medical intervention in these cases. If you have a failure to thrive in your spiritual life, you need spiritual treatment. Maybe not medical treatment, but you need spiritual treatment. The Bible says in, uh, what is it, Romans 12, something, 12, 11, there we go. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Lord, let that be true of us, that we never lack in zeal, but we remain hungry before you and pursuant of you. We can't manufacture the Holy Spirit's movement in our church. We're not going to try. But we can fertilize the soil. We can remove the acid from the soil. We can create an environment of expectation. Lord, we expect something great. Lord, we look to you right now. Let's pray. Apply faith. Let's get hungry. Lord, we stir up a hunger inside, a desire for you. I pray that something that's said today impacts our life. And that we live out our days from here on forward a little bit different because of something that, that you speak into our lives. So Lord, we're hungry. We're seeking you. Amen. Let's continue on in the story. So, uh, so, so what happened? Uh, they, they were all, t- all together, and, and Jesus had compassion. And he says, he says, basically says to the disciples, all right, you guys go feed them. Take care of it. All these people are really hungry. Take care of it, guys. Two chapters earlier, Jesus did the same thing. There's 5,000 families, 25,000 people. They're hungry. Go take care of it, guys. And what'd they do? They said, how could we possibly do that, God. All right, what do you got? And he did it, and he prayed for it, and the disciples distributed the food, and it turns out there was a, it multiplied. And so here we are, a repeat. Pretty much the same situation. There's fewer people, but they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're over in Gentile territory. They're not on grassy fields. They're in a remote place. They're not with Jews. They're with Gentiles. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 4, his disciples answered Jesus, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Come on, guys. You didn't get it? How many times have we got to do this? Number two, God is not restricted by your limitations. Amen. God is not restricted by your limitations. See, the disciples were so confused. They weren't getting it because they had a problem with three things. They had a problem with the case, the place, 
and the race. I know how to rhyme in the house. Praise God. Wherever there's a rhyme, you know the spirit's there. There's a, they had a problem with the case. They had a problem with the case because they forgot that God had just done this. They forgot what they had just done. They were a part of it. Jesus didn't walk around passing out the bread. The Bible's explicit. Jesus told the disciples to do it, and the disciples did it. Amazing. They had a problem with the case because they forgot what God had just done. Turn to the person next to you, type it in the chat, say, duh. (laughs) They had a problem with the race, I believe. Don't know exactly how they said it, but I, I like to imagine that they, they said, How can it, how can, we're in this remote place, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? We know the, the, the disciples had a problem with the Gentiles. We know this, so I think it's realistic to imagine that they had a problem with the place. Like it, made, it made sense, God, when you fed the, the, the Jews. But here we are in Gentile territory, and, and I know my Deuteronomy, Jesus. I read Deuteronomy. Did you read Deuteronomy, Jesus? We're supposed to drive these guys out, show them no mercy, get them out, because they're evil. But when Jesus and his disciples landed, they were welcoming. They were open. And the disciples had a problem, I believe, with the race. God's not limited or restricted by your limitations. The disciples also had a problem with the place. The disciples had a problem with the place. Where in this remote place, God, in this remote place, are we ever going to find anything to feed these people? Do you ever have that issue? This remote place? I mean, we're in Waterloo, Indiana. We're not in a big city. We're in Waterloo, Indiana. God can meet in a remote place like Waterloo. Give me the camera I'm looking at here. God can meet in a remote place like Smith Farms. God can meet in a remote place like Betts Nursing Home. God can meet in a remote place like Astral Retirement Community. I know you're watching. Um, I'm glad you're there. And God can meet you right there where you are. The Spirit of God knows no limits, and He's not limited or restricted by our limitations. So let's take those limits off. Believe it. God can meet you where you are, whether you're, you're worshiping with us live online right now, or, or if you're worshiping uh, later with us, later in the week or even another month. It's hard for me to imagine it, but time is nothing for God. And God can meet you where you are. Right now, if you have anticipation and believe for it, God's not restricted by your limitations. God's not restricted by any limitations of place. Whether you're worshiping here or whether, I'm not sure if there might be people in the unity hall right now, God can meet you wherever you are. What little faith we must have if we believe otherwise. Jesus would say that, I think. He was so frustrated with his disciples in this. What little faith we must have if we think otherwise. Whatever your limitations are on, the, on what God can do in your life, I hope you get over it, but God's not restricted by it. God's not restricted by it. Here's the third thing. Third thing we learned from this story in Mark chapter 8 of the feeding of the 4,000. God will lose, I'm sorry, God will use what you've got. 
God will use what you've got. So the disciples said, where are we going to, where are we going to get food to feed 4,000 people? We couldn't, we can't do that. And what's Jesus say? Verse five, he says, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, go ahead and put it up. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. God will use what you've got. We see this happen other places in scripture. God called Moses out. He's like, hey, Mo. That's what he called him. He had a nickname. Yo, Mo. I need you to lead my people out of the land of Egypt. And he's like, I can't do it. I got so many problems. I can't do it. How are they going to know? How are they going to know that you called me, God? And God said, what do you got in your hand? What is that? It's a stick. (laughs) Yep. What do you got in your hand? What do you got in your hand, church? It's just a stick. God wants to use it. God will use what you've got if you surrender it to him and step forward towards him in serving. This is the message, I think, that's communicated clearly to disciples of Christ in Mark chapter 8. God wants to use what you've got. We just heard the announcement a moment ago. We have an awesome, awesome opportunity for you to start a group this next fall. You don't have to be a Bible theologian. If you're a Bible theologian, teach. But use what you've got. If you're not a Bible theologian, maybe don't teach. You know, God has not called you. If you're not a Bible theologian, God has not called you to be a Bible professor today. Today. But he has called you to something today. What is it that he's called you to today? The thing you've got. Do you like to play basketball? That's an activity group. Do it with somebody. Are you like really good at fishing? That's a great opportunity for an activity group. If you sign up for a group, to lead a group, and then we have the, the group leader leadership training. We'll just teach you a couple little tweaks. Just a couple little tweaks. You do what you do anyway. I just like to go hiking. Cool. Take whatever it is that you do anyway. And with a couple little tweaks, we can turn that into a ministry opportunity for you. And the church of Jesus can grow because of it. People can grow closer to each other and towards God because of it. And he can use you to do it. God will use what you've got. God will use what you've got today. Whatever you have today, God will use it if you surrender to him. But how much faith would that have to be? Jesus is like, well, what do you got? We just got some bread, Jesus. It takes faith then to take it to God. This is what I got. I wish we had more. I wish I had more, but but this this is all that's here. Are we willing to surrender to the Lord like that? I hope so. The story continues in verse 6. Jesus told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Who is distributing to the people? The disciples. And they did so. Verse 7. They had a few small fish as well. We're not talking tunas. We're talking minnows, small fish. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 
about 4,000 were present. Here's number four. He is the source, you are the provision. He is the source, you are the provision. I think it's interesting. Did you catch it? Two chapters earlier, when they fed the Jews, there were 12 little lunch baskets left over. God has enough for the, for the 12 tribes of Israel. The word here for baskets is not lunch-sized basket. This is hamper-sized basket. This is the same Greek word used to describe the basket that Paul got into. In the book of Acts, Paul got into a basket and escaped. So this is a basket big enough for a person to get into. And they had how many? Seven. God has enough for the seven tribes of Israel, seven tribes of Canaan that they drove out. God is now ready for the Gentiles. Amazing. Amazing. God again used what was brought before them, before him to do something amazing, but they didn't even catch it. Did you see? I hope you saw it. Who did that miracle? Disciples. He's the source. You're the provision. The disciples didn't get it, and maybe you aren't either. This is, this is kind of mind-boggling, mind-boggling to get, get our minds around. He's the source, but we're the provision. There is something significant about you, Christian. If you're a Christian, there's something very significant. He's the source, but you're the provision. The world needs Jesus. Do you believe that? The world needs Jesus. There will be a day that Jesus returns, like like the version of Jesus that falls from the sky and shows up. That's coming. That's coming. But what the world needs right now is the Jesus inside you. He's the source. He's the source. You're the provision. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all have everlasting life. How does that come? God is the source, you are the provision. The world needs Jesus. And there's something significant about you. Turn to the person next to you, type it in the chat, you're significant. Pastor Adam, you better have something in the Bible to back that up. Yes, sir, I've got it. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's the reason Christians are here, to do good works. God prepared in advance for us to do. 1 Peter 2.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. What do you got? What's in your hand? Just a stick? Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You want to talk about the place of grace? Leave that verse up. Leave that verse up. As faithful stewards of God's grace. Where's the place of grace? I'm looking at some of them. Faithful stewards of God's grace. The place of grace is when people interact with you. That's a place of grace. Preach it, Pastor Adam. Thank you. I hear you in the back. Go with the gift. This is a great mystery and a dichotomy that God works through. He's the source, but we're the provision. And that's hard for the disciples to grasp. They didn't get it at first. And we might not be getting it either. But, but you know what? Neither did the Pharisees. Mark chapter 8, it, the, it continues. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. 
He sighed deeply. Might have sounded like that. And he said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left him, got back to the boat and crossed over to the other side. He must have been pretty mad. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Number five, beware of what ruins ministry. When I talk about ministry, I'm talking about your ministry, my ministry, your personal ministry. If you're a Christian, you have a ministry. If you don't think you do, you might not be doing very well at it, but you have a ministry. Every Christian has a ministry. Beware of what ruins ministry. So I, I, I think this is really interesting. So, so the disciples, they get in the boat, they're going to the other side, and they're like, oh man, we, we forgot bread. Oh man, and Jesus says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Uh, leaven was dough with some yeast in it. And what they would do, they would, they would take that, that yeasty dough and put it with unyeasty dough, just normal, like whatever they made it with. And they'd leave it sit for a minute and the yeast would grow and spread. Anyone ever made Amish friendship bread? Same type of thing. You, you, you make it, but you, you can't make it without the little starter thing. So was, you get your yeasty bit and you put it in. In the New Testament, yeast was a symbol of any evil influence that, if allowed to remain, would corrupt the whole people of God. And so in the Passover festival, the Jews were required to cut out the yeast. It it has no part because not a bit of yeast can go on this bread. It has to be unleavened bread that that you're eating in this time because they're remembering being separated from Egypt. We're going to cut out that piece. It's symbolic. So Jesus says, cut out the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Cut that out. What is that? What is that? There's the yeast of the Pharisees, which I believe is pride and self-sufficiency, believing that we can do it. There was hypocrisy going on with the Pharisees. Say one thing, do another. The hypocrisy of Pharisees, I think that was the yeast of the Pharisees, and that's going to spread. And I think it was in Matthew, Jesus warned them to beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees which was legalism. Think about what legalism is. It's, it's dictated uh, legalistic holiness. Doing for yourself what only God can do. I'm going to make myself holy. You can't make yourself holy. You can choose good decisions, but you can't make yourself holy. The only, that can make you, the only one that can make you holy is God. So you try to take into your own hands what only God can do? The yeast of Herod was a similar idea. I love that Jesus put them together. Gives us the big idea of what Jesus is really saying here. Beware of the yeast of Herod. The Herodians were those who who sought to change the spiritual temperature of a nation by political means. Let me say that again. The Herodians were those who sought to change the spiritual temperature of a nation by political means. I'm so glad that stopped. Beware of what will ruin your personal ministry. In both cases, the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, both cases, it was the idea of we're going to do, we're going to take things into our own hands. That's what the Herodians were doing. I'm going to change the spiritual temperature, so I'm going to do so by this way. 
don't try to do what only God can do. See, this is bringing, this whole idea of what Jesus is doing is bringing more sense. You see, just a moment ago, they did this amazing miracle. And what he, I think, was teaching them is, I'm the source, you are the provision, but be careful, because if you think you're all that, it's Pharisees, it's Herodians. Beware, beware of this idea that you can do it. God's the source, you're the provision, but if you forget that God's the source, it's going to ruin everything. I thought of a few creative ways to say this idea. I just want to give you a couple of them. This almost, all of these were almost the name of this point. You can write these down. These are, these are gold right here. Mix your natural with God's super, and something supernatural will occur. That's true. Here's another one. This, is, this one's gold. Don't use yeast, and you'll be a total beast. Right? Okay. Obtain much humility if you want to live in tranquility. Yeah, that wasn't as good as the other one. Don't mix leaven if you want into heaven. Whatever. Those are all good right there. So the basic idea I think Jesus is saying here is watch out for an attitude that you can get it done. He's the source. You're the provision. But watch out for an attitude that you can do anything without him. That source runs dry real quick. So Jesus just said, uh, beware of the yeast of the... So, okay, let me, let me put you back into the context before we go to the next point. Jesus, Jesus said, uh, or the disciples said, oh man, we only have a loaf of bread. Yikes, we forgot to bring bread for our journey. And Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of the Herodians. And they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. I love it. They think Jesus is making a passive-aggressive statement. Like, these guys forgot bread. Beware. They forgot to bring bread, these morons. This is what happens right here. This is what happens when we try to take things into our own hands. Next time you have a problem, don't try to answer it without asking Jesus. That could have been solved right away. Jesus says, hey, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. They could have said, what do you mean? He was right there. What are you saying, Jesus? But instead they were like, okay. I think he meant, I think he meant he was really mad at us. Just ask him. Next time you have a problem, just turn around and ask Jesus. Don't try to solve it without him. Include him in. And what's going on in your life? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? He's getting pretty ticked, I think. Number six, followers of Christ can get hard hearts. Followers of Christ can get hard hearts. What makes a heart hard? Anger. Bitterness, being let down again. Some of these things can really weigh on, weigh on us, and our hearts can get hard. So what's the solution? Turn around and ask Jesus for help. Amen. It's the only one that can fix it. 
But too many Christians live in a world of, Just turn around and talk to them. If your heart is hard and you're stuck, sometimes we get stuck. I encourage you to go to my new hope that I am and tap on I want to get free. That's going to begin the deliverance process in our church. We just heard a little bit about it. Uh, Chet and uh, Phyllis do a lot of work with that. We have some other volunteers that are um, helping people reach towards Jesus, the deliverer. If you're stuck, you don't have to stay that way. God wants you out. God wants you free. Here's number seven. You've got the power. You've got the power. All of you can do that. You've got the power. Mark chapter 8. The story continues. Verse 19 Jesus says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 families, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they said. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? I have enough for the Jews. I have enough for the Gentiles, in fact, I have big basket full, big hampers full for the Jews or for the Gentiles because they're open. They're welcome. They're, they're welcoming me. They want me. Do you still not understand? And the disciples weren't getting it. The power to do amazing things was in them. I've got to hide this. I just know I've got to hide this because people are going to be after this trying to figure out how I'm doing this. Has anyone figured it out? Does anyone know how I do this? No, you don't. You don't. Nobody knows. You don't know. I'm just going to keep thinking you don't know. I'm going to live with that. And then something interesting happened in Mark Mark 8, right, right after this, this story. You could put a line in your Bible. Because some, some theologians see it as the continental divide in Jesus' ministry. The disciples weren't getting it. They had the power. And the disciples were not getting it. And Jesus, right around this time, the, the recording of his ministry changes from ministering to a lot of people publicly to training the disciples because they weren't getting it. You've got the power. You're feeding all these people. I'm the source, but you're the provision. Don't you know I want you to go? I'm not the, I'm not the only one that can do this, disciples. Take it. Go. And he changed his ministry because he, th- those guys had to get developed. Those guys had to grow. Those guys had to step up and do what they were called to. Yes. And if we receive that, I think that's a good message for us. Jesus isn't the only one that can do the cool stuff. You've got the power. Are you willing to take hold of what God's called you to? Use what you've got in your hand. And go at it. Strive to be closer to the Lord. Strive to serve him. Obey what he's called you to. Take your next step even if that's a little uncomfortable. Would you stand with me?
something is in you, church, get it out. Was that it was Nike or something? Is it in you? Yes. The Spirit of God is in you, Christian. Get it out. Just do it. Go do it. It's not contingent upon an announcement. It's not contingent upon the church's resources. It's not contingent upon your location, whether you're at school or at your job. You know, I'll be able to, to serve God, you know, when, you know when, I'm, when I'm working in full-time ministry at a church, then I'll be able to do it. Oh, man, you're missing it. God wants to use you where you are. That's why you're there. That's why you're there. If he wanted you somewhere else, he'd put you somewhere else. But he put you where he's put you. Will you be faithful with what he put, where he put you now? It's not contingent on the people you're with, the case, the place, the race. It's contingent upon you using what God's given you right now, today, tomorrow morning. What has God given us? Let's pray. Lord, I pray you help us surrender our whole life over to you. We embrace this message that you've called us with a purpose. You called us on purpose. It wasn't a mistake. And you have things for us to do. So Lord, I pray that you would use your church. Guide us to do what you called us to do. And may we never forget the greatness and the source of the kingdom that you've called us to. It's our prayer in Jesus' name.